Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome back to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and with us today we have got Martin Rapley. Hi Martin. Hello Michelle, it's really good to be here with you. Absolutely fantastic to have you. Uh, a long-time friend of YPN in various formats through the magazine, obviously writing lots of articles over the years for us there. And uh, I say more recently, but it's actually been, uh, we're probably coming up to about three years in our development training programme, which uh, for people who don't know, it's called uh, Total Development and it's property tra- property development training for investors at every stage, whether they are just starting out or, or work further down the line. And you are our resident expert in that. And uh, with your uh, experience of 20 plus years in the construction industry through project management and various different roles. Um, so a huge, huge range of, you know, just experience. And I think, you know, uh, I'm going to kind of tee everyone up to just listen out for not just your project management experience and, and working with, um, you know, builders, etc., but also in the context of property investors. And I think that's where you've got a very unique uh, position. So, um, yeah, just, you know, how, you know, how did you kind of transition from working just purely in construction and then working with property investors? Let's start there. Yeah, well, I suppose as with a lot of these things, it starts off as a bit of an accident, really. I was, um, I was running my own construction company really struggling to find clients because this was 2011 2012 we were coming out of a recession um i i was i went to a networking event and someone said oh well, there's a property networking event you might want to go along to that they'll be looking for builders so i i went along to one of those meetings and was given the opportunity to stand up and introduce myself and very quickly found that a builder in a property meeting uh, you know, there's a queue forming of people that want to talk to you about potential schemes. Um, and through that, and just through a bit of luck more than anything, I found that all of my clients were actually property investors at one point. At a point where I was, first of all, starting to get a little bit fed up managing building projects, which I'd been doing for well over 20 years by then. And also at a point where I started to realise that I had this 20 something years of experience, which largely the other people at property meetings didn't have. I hadn't realised that I had this knowledge that largely other people didn't have. So it was the start of 2013 where actually, through a number of circumstances, I'd had five really good projects that I'd failed to win for for very silly little reasons. Like One guy got stuck in Saudi Arabia with a visa problem and couldn't come back to meet me and just 
little things and it was that and struggling to find work realizing I'd got this knowledge and it was like well maybe I should become a consultant working with property investors and 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 change direction in my career which was yeah kind of how it came about in the end and uh, you're right there there aren't many builders in property meetings uh and, and it's it's quite surprising really isn't it so um why do you think that is um I, I think partly builders are not networkers per se some builders do network but they're aware of the, the morning the breakfast networking meetings property investing meetings largely are in the evening that's builders are doing their paperwork, doing their admin down the pub with the family in the evening because they're not necessary. They're not thinking that they need to develop the business that much. And largely builders, I think, can pretty much get work. Certainly at the moment they can. Back when it was quite when I was when I set my business up, I mean, yeah, I mean, you'd never set it up at the end of a recession as I did. But that was that was what came about. And I didn't, I didn't know how to get work. I'd set up a business and I didn't know how to get work. I just thought I would work it out. That's how hacked off I was in the company I was at, to be honest. And I thought I'd just work it out. And it was just, I went to a networking event at breakfast, started meeting people, realized the benefits of that, realized I needed to go to other networking events. That's what led to the property ones. But I guess property you know, sort of uh, builders aren't necessarily meeting anyone per se that goes to networking events as i say some of them might do some of the, the breakfast bni meetings but that's that's probably about it but at the moment they don't need to because there's yeah. like quite a bit of work out there and, and it's you know it, it's it's not something they're going to benefit from yeah i mean you obviously stumbled into this uh property investor world which you would think would be quite closely related to the construction and industry mm. and, and trades people but actually there's a huge gap and not just a gap in uh you know in, in china in, in actually meeting them but a, a gap in um understanding what how sort of you know how the other side works and um you know for many builders and, and construction companies they the contractors they don't understand sort of how um you know how investors want to kind of structure the deal and and uh, understand the investment side um and vice versa you know many property investors first of all they don't even know where to find a builder let alone uh, a good one you know that's mm. the, the question I, I always get asked is um where can i find a great builder um so so you know how what how do you think that people can kind of bridge that gap and let's start off with the question of um where can people find a great builder? <laughs> I, I, I think the, the thing about prop, property investing is, is a sphere on itself. Construction is, is another sphere. And, and what I realised was that there was a, an opportunity to, to bring the two together. I didn't know about property investing. I did actually have a, a, a buy-to-let flat. We'd had a flat for about 15 years. But we'd literally just bought a flat that kind of ticked some boxes uh, when we had some spare cash years before um, and let it plod along. We'd we'd refinanced it and got the money out and spent it on a new, you know, on a on a better holiday and a new car and things like that, rather than investing, because that wasn't how we were thinking. And it was me wanting to kind of merge the two together that led me to look into understanding, learning and understanding what a property investor. Yeah, what a property investor looked like, because I didn't know. What's really interesting in hindsight is 
looking back, I actually worked for a huge number of property investors as a building contractor. I just didn't really know what they were and what what, what yeah, how they stood out. But I look back and I definitely did a fair amount of work for property investors over the years, although I did a lot of commercial work as, as well. So I started working on myself, really, to, to work out how did I explain 30-something years of my experience? How did I put that over to property investors in a way that was really easy for them to understand? And then that led, led me to think, well, actually, what do I know? And, and how do I teach at a basic level? Because I've been teaching, I'd previously been teaching consultants and other, other people within construction. But of course, largely they come through with some kind of construction qualification degree or experience. And so that just got me thinking about what are the fundamental questions? What are the basic things that property investors need to know? And that's, you know, as you say, the first question I always get asked is, yeah, how do I find a good builder? And and it was like, well, do you know how? Yeah, how do I find a good builder? I've been doing it, but how can I explain that to other people? What are the the, the easy ways to break this down? Because of course, when I worked for a building contractor, we largely had tradesmen approaching us on a regular basis looking for work. They write to their local contractor, um, and so of course. Whilst we did have to find builders, largely we 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 didn't need to work too hard at it. What I realised was a lot of it was doing research and due diligence and getting rid of the people that clearly weren't going to be able to supply. And then it was right, okay, well, how can I take my knowledge and break it down to a level that is right for property investors? And that's when I started talking about you know, the benefits of going to networking meetings and getting recommendations and referrals and Google searches and walk, walking around the streets and just looking you know, for signboards and, and opportunities to meet builders. And so, so me coming over into property investing worlds was kind of very much, I've got this knowledge, but how do I actually get it out to a lot of people who haven't got the technical skills? How do I simplify it in a way that I'm not making it so simple that you know, it, it feels like it's, it, it's, it, it, I'm undersimplifying it, but how do I simplify it enough that those people that haven't got the skills can understand what we're talking about? Yeah. So you mentioned a few uh, ways there of how people can find great builders, referrals and uh, property networking meetings, et cetera. Um, and I know that you, and, and also kind of eliminating the ones they, that, you know, you don't want to work with is a big part of it as well. So uh, it's kind of like um, the process of elimination mm. leads you to the better builders. Um, and you presented once on um, how to be a great client. So not just how to find a great builder, but how you can position yourself as a great client and therefore attract the great, you know, the best builders or the best contractors. So um, I think, you know, just be really interesting just to touch on that, because uh, it's something that people really miss very often. Mm. How, um, they just miss that out and therefore they they turn a great builder into like a terrible one, right? <laughs> yeah, and and I think I, I I think sadly some people set off to turn good builders into bad builders, but but I think there's a number of people that accidentally do that because they haven't given the builder the opportunity to excel in the first place because they they don't really know what they need to do to help the builder excel, and and the common thing that I, I see is. You, you know, 
I, and I teach teach property investors to think about their credibility. And their credibility is demonstrated by going to a builder with pretty good knowledge as to what you want. You don't need to be an expert on how it is delivered. That's for the builder and maybe your architect to uh, to sort out. But you need to know what, what you want because this is going to be your property. You're going to sell it or rent it to make some money. And the builder wants to pretty much come in, start the project, build it out, deliver it all to a good standard and, and hand it back to you. He doesn't want to be asking lots of questions and he doesn't want to be making decisions because he might make the wrong decisions. And then there's a dispute. And, you know, I, you know, I put I put the sink here because I always put the sink under the kitchen window is a good argument. But in an HMO, that might not be the best location for it because we might want to put the table there or something like that. So builders don't want to get into dispute. So one of the things I teach is to actually tell builders exactly what you want up front. Because when I was on the other side of the camp as a builder or managing building projects, by the way, I never, I've never had any, I've got some tools, but I'm not a builder with tools. I'm a, I'm a manager, I'm a quantity surveyor. But when I was busy and we were pricing projects if we were too busy we had to be selective as to which projects we priced and the ones that we kicked out first were the ones that looked wishy-washy ill ill thought out um yeah where we thought we were going to have trouble with clients um and whereas the ones that were well thought out had decent information decent documentation they were the ones that we would largely price what does that look like, decent documentation? What do people need to prepare for their first meeting with a builder? Um, so, so to get a quality price from a builder, you need some quality drawings, not planning permission drawings, building regulation drawings, or if you're not if you're not doing a particularly specialist project, but for instance, you want some walls moved or you want you know an ensuite put in into a bedroom, then um, yeah, you can do it on some of the free software online to, to do that, but at least something that gives them an indication as to what you want to achieve and a schedule of works that tells them what you want in there. This is the style of door I want. This is the kind of handle I need. Even these are the paint colours that I want. And I, and I want the bathrooms fully tiled or I want the top of the bathrooms half tiled or whatever you want. That's the information. It doesn't really matter what you want, but the builder needs to know what you want. Because the other thing is, the builders, if they, if it's sketchy or or even not written down, the builders are thinking, well, how can I price this competitively against another builder? Because they don't understand what you, what you want either. Therefore, the prices are all over the place. Therefore, what's the point of me trying to price? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, and... and I think another common mistake is that people will they'll look at a deal and they think okay this is a bit outside of my experience I'm not sure how to price this I'll find a builder to come and look mm -hmm. um, so do you want to tell people like how they what what to do instead of that yeah so from yeah being on the other side when I was a builder I could price anything if I had some drawings and a schedule of works I knew what was needed there was, often, there was often other bits of documentation in it, but largely I could price anything. What I realised was that, particularly back in my early days, I didn't have massive technical knowledge 
as to how things were built. Much later on, I picked that up as, as, as we went through, but I didn't necessarily know how things were built. So a lot of builders don't actually understand the technical side of building because they're following the instructions. They've got a drawing that tells them how to build, how deep to build the foundations, what construction they need for a wall, when things might need a fire escape uh, or a fire alarm, uh, when we might need to put in acoustic insulation. Now, so builders don't really need to know that information. They just need to know how to follow the instructions. You don't need to know absolutely everything. Um, so it was only later on where I, I got involved in some specialist construction work where I was actually specifying, specifying how to do repairs in the end. Um, so it got to a point where I had to learn how buildings went together. So now what I say to, to property investors is largely builders are not good at pricing speculatively. So if they walk around a property and you say, I want to refurbish this property, well, well, to what standard and what are we aiming for? And they're probably not property investors, so they don't know what an HMO is or quite what you might want in a typical HMO. Um, and, and they also don't always un look deeper than just the, the, the basics. Uh, yeah, and I've I've worked with yeah with builders that haven't understood why some of the works needed, particularly in HMOs. Why are we putting acoustic ceilings up in this ten bedroom HMO? Well, that's because it's part of the building regulations. But I wouldn't necessarily expect them to know that because that's not their core skill. They know how to put the ceiling up. They know what the products are they need, but they don't necessarily need to need to know where to put it. So. My advice is largely you want to avoid working with builders to give you prices for projects that you're thinking of buying. That's slightly different if you've got a good relationship with a builder and particularly if you've worked with a builder over a number of years, you'll, you'll know that you can trust them. But literally phoning someone up off the internet and saying, meet me around this property, you know, Saturday afternoon type thing. Yeah. You know, the thing is the builders are going to spot that you don't own it. And I learned this when I was running a building business. I, I learned very quickly that if I didn't ask the right questions, I was wasting my time at a property that potentially the investor would never buy. If, if, if I told the investor it was going to cost £50,000 to do the refurbishment, which, by the way, was a bit of a guess because I didn't always know what they were trying to achieve, but they couldn't make an offer that was, you know, that factored £50,000 into it. As a result, they don't buy the property. So I've got a wasted afternoon. I've got time that's gone nowhere. So I started getting clever and asking the right kind of questions to, to save my time. And now I say exactly the same to property investors. Be very careful. You run the risk of not getting particularly accurate prices because the builders can't price particularly well without having the details. And also, if they think you don't own the building, they're not going to spend hours putting a comprehensive price together unless you pay them. But even if you pay them, you're still asking them to do something that isn't their core skill. And so really you need to be talking to quantity surveyors or other construction consultants who can do the prices for you, or indeed someone like me that will teach you property, that I teach property investors how to do this because the process I use isn't rocket science. But it's not something that's written down in a book and you can you, you can learn. So I, I teach people how to do it so that they can continually 
find good deals for themselves without having to slow down the whole process talking to a builder or talking to a consultant. Yeah. So in a nutshell, the builder really is the last person that you want to be speaking to. You want to get all your documents mm. in order, your schedule of works, speaking to your QS and, and getting as much of the pricing done beforehand. And then, you know, you're looking to who's going to be the best contractor, the best builder to work with. Um, so it's a really important point. I think uh, I'm, I'm glad we kind of covered that. Let's let's jump on to the pricing then, because uh, and, and you know, bring it obviously relevant to today. So we're recording this uh, on the 5th of October 2022. And, you know, after obviously, you know, we're, we're obviously way post COVID now. Prices are still sky high. Some are dipping off. Some are kind of, um, you know, just stagnating. Others are still going up like steel. Um, how do people uh, work out the, um, you know, because you can't go into that much detail and do schedule works for every every property that pops up, right? So as a kind of high level, how do people predict what the end value is going to be? because they need that uh, refurbishment cost in there to work out the GDV. Yeah, so it's definitely difficult at the moment. I would say largely for kind of 10 years, eight, certainly eight to 10 years, prices have barely moved. They have gone, they've slowly crept up. We know the, inflate, the rate of inflation has been pretty low. So largely, if, if you didn't pick up that prices were increasing, it didn't really matter because they didn't increase much. What we've got now is a lot more volatility. Uh, COVID was part of that. Brexit was part of that. We've now got fuel issues being part of that energy and you know, other, other things relating to distribution and, and what have you. So, so the, the key thing at the moment is to acknowledge that prices are going up. Now, that isn't necessarily overly serious if the end values are going up as well, because everything goes up. And in reality, the, the, the gap between gets greater. So right. over this last really 12 months or so, although prices have gone up, material prices and labor prices have gone up, the value of our properties have gone up more. So it didn't really matter. Where it really starts to matter is, is if we start to find that property values don't go up any further, which is perhaps now where we're heading, maybe not straight away, but per perhaps by Christmas, we're going to find that the property values level off, maybe even start to drop a little bit into 2023, whereas at the moment materials are, are still, you know, still creeping up. So if you're putting together a budget today for a property that you're thinking of making an offer on today, bear in mind that it could be six months before you've got a builder to start working on that site. So you've got to keep your finger on the pulse as to what's happening with the markets. And, and we hear about steel skyrocketing, but all the time steel skyrocketing, there's other products that are barely moving. So some products, and, and the one that really leaps out is carpet and floor finishes. They, those prices have barely changed because they, they just don't seem to be affected by the other factors. Um, so, so the average, whilst you might hear steel 30%, is that 30%? What's over what period is that 30%? It could well be 12 months, and other things are barely moving. So the net effect over 12 months might only be, say, 
8%, 10%. You can generally get a bit of a steer by looking at, look at the websites, look at the uh, publications relating to uh, construction. So come out of property investing world and look at construction investing world. Um, talk to merchants, talk to builders. Uh, merchants will definitely give you an idea of what they're aware of. But of course, with things like steel, timber's a bit volatile at the moment, concrete's volatile at the moment. Um, you, you know, they are making a bit of an assumption. They're guessing what the effect might be. So I think, you know, I, I, try, and, I try and work on prices that are about five months ahead of where they might be at the moment. That's where I tend to be. I've always got contingency. So if I'm slightly adrift, there's a bit of contingency. Um, but I won't be quite as pessimistic if I'm reasonably happy that the values of properties are going up. So, so for instance, it didn't matter in January, February, if I wasn't quite picking up the right prices because the values have, have made up for, for all right. of that. So if there's obviously there's lots of talk of recession at the moment and that, you know, property prices are looking to dip, whether they will or not, you know, we haven't got a crystal ball, but that's what the general consensus is. So, so what people need to do then is go to QS, get the, um, you know, the pricing as accurate as they can for the next uh, five months and then have a bit of contingency. Do you yeah. think is that the best route? I think so. The, the the thing with this is it's not an exact science. Yeah. You know, there's there's an element of gut feeling here. Because I'm working, I'm working from my experience. When I'm working out budgets, it's all just from experience. It's based on quotes that I've seen coming from builders for similar things. And I'm just keeping an eye on you know, where prices are going. But my belief is if you put enough detail and put enough effort into building up your prices, you'll have a few prices where you put a budget that's a bit on the high side and you'll have a few that are a bit on the low side. And generally across the board, you will be reasonably close. And, and for a long time, I would say, I mean, I was pretty good at getting budgets right for a long time. Pretty much, you know, we do a budget we'd get builders quotes in a few months later on. And it was like, wow, that's, you know, that's within 10,000 pounds of what we thought. I'll confess now that is getting harder and harder to do because the prices are so volatile. And, you know, if, if you've got a project that is particularly reliant on concrete and steel, for instance, you've got, you're going to have a massive spike in that. Um, and, and I'm seeing contractors. So this is on the other side. I'm, I'm seeing contractors who have, underpriced the delivery of the project because they took prices you know six months ago and are now putting in and buying these products that where the where the prices have gone up and some of them are getting themselves in in trouble and this is actually why we see more building contractors go bust coming out of a recession than we will going in because coming out of recession they priced at the recession prices or the, the restricted prices and of course, now prices are going up. They suddenly can't deliver for the for the prices that they quoted. So, yeah, we we used to get excited about recession because we'd suddenly make a lot of profit, but we always knew we were going to have to work hard to get back out of it again, without sustaining you know, massive losses. And okay, so when people are looking to work with builders and having that contract in place, do you think it's 
better to go with a fixed price then given what's going on or just a sort of estimated quote yeah so when I first came into construction which was back in the 80s we didn't have so many fixed price price contracts then because prices were quite volatile and we used to do work out these things called fluctuations at the end of the month and we'd apply indices across it to work out what the fluctuations dealt with and then prices settled down and so we pretty much went to fixed price contracts um I've not really seen anyone talking about fluctuations coming back in, but it would make some sense. And I'm certainly seeing builders that are cautious about giving fixed prices or they're giving fixed prices for some elements of the work, but saying this element is going to have to be on invoice, uh, particularly steel. I've got that at the moment. Um, so... We, yeah, we're certainly starting to see that as, as a bit of a challenge coming back. And whether we get to full fluctuations, I don't know. But I, I think we're, what I'm seeing now is builders are much more aware of the potential problem, where, whereas two years ago, no one really saw it coming, so they were being caught out, whereas now they're at least having a conversation with me and, and their clients. That sounds like a good compromise then fixing some of the elements that are more volatile because at the end of the day even though uh we might think well we want the fixed price from the builder because we've got that security and if the builder's price wrong tough luck actually it's very dangerous because if they if they do get it wrong and they go bust then your project goes with it so you know you want to kind of do the right thing and make sure that that you know you're both on the same page you're both working together to make sure uh that you're you're both clear on these on the costs and where it's going to be so um what about if i kind of draw on your more property investor side then so if the prices are are going to dip so you've got this lower gdv and the rising construction costs um what do you think is going to happen what how you know how do people stack their deals how do they negotiate with vendors with agents and explain that you know the profits are now being squeezed they can't do what they used to do um where are they going to be the opportunities so so this is about working out the true offer price you can make which if material prices are going up then naturally that's going to bring our offer prices down but of course that's all reflected in the the general market where we're already starting to see a bit of a slowdown. We're starting to see you know, price increases just starting to level off. And, and things you just by, and I don't claim to be an expert here at all, because this is now a completely different field, but just by the laws of economics, things start to sort, sort themselves out again. The mistake that property investors can make very easily is you know, overbidding, overoffering for a property just to get the property. You know, there, there will... Yeah, I mean, I was taught this years ago, and, and I probably didn't believe it years ago, but I absolutely believe it now. The right projects are out there for the right people at the right time. It may not be what you were buying for the last couple of years. It may be that currently that that you know, three to five bedroom HMO conversion in, in your part of the city actually doesn't work at the moment. And you've got to go and find something else that does work. Things will come back again. Um, but I think the most important thing is don't get hung up on, I must do a deal, I must buy a property, you know, it needs refurbishing, so it must be a really good deal. Go back to the basics. Is, is it a good deal? What am I trying to do with it? What are the, what are the numbers? 
does it stack? Can I make an offer that's going to be accepted? And, and if you can't, or, or you make an offer and it's not accepted, it's just one for the follow-ups yeah. and, and go and go and look at some other things. And, and you know, I, I, when I first got into property investing properly, so in 2013, I was, I was there trying to make a deal out of anything. You know, if, if it needed a painted front door, it's like, well, there might be an angle here. I might, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then I started to realise, no, you've got to look dig, bigger, you've got to look deeper. And this is where I'm, I now talk, I'm now saying to a lot of investors is don't just look at a property because it needs refurbishing. Look at a property because it needs refurbishing and then say, what else can you do? Can I reconfigure it and get some better value from it? Maybe that's the house to HMO conversion or a commercial to residential conversion. Can I build an extension to it? Can I change the use of it? Can I extend the, the, a lease on a short, you know, a short lease flat or something like that? Can I, you know, what can I do to add more than one string of profit to it? And, and I think at the moment, I'm, ex I'm quite excited about the market at the moment, by the way, because I think it's going to see off a lot of real amateur investors. Yeah. And, and we we could do with some of them falling out, out falling by the wayside and but those that are switched on and those that are knowledgeable and to be honest everyone who's listening to this this podcast really because you've all committed to learn something um, and it's not just me you're learning from it's other people so I'm talking about all the people that aren't reading YPM magazine aren't on these podcasts aren't coming to the networking events but are, are trying to be property investors they're the ones that we could do with seeing out of the market. And then those of us that are left that are working hard, educated to some extent in what they're doing, the, the right opportunities will open up at the right time. Yeah. And when you're working with investors, and you have done for many years now, what are the patterns uh, about you know what are the patterns that you notice with the people who uh, do succeed and the ones that don't? So what like what common mistakes are people making and what are the people who succeed what are they doing differently so one of the common mistakes i see is taking on too much on the first or second project that is a real common mistake i see um i, I i'm a great believer that you, you if you want to do refurbishments you want to get into call it development that you start reasonably small and you know, learn as you go. Um, yeah, you know, so I mean, yeah, you know, one of the worst case studies I've got are the the, the two investors who between them lost eight hundred thousand pounds trying to do a massive development in London, where they had a number of things against them in the first place, and it was just beyond what they could do um, financially um, and ability wise. And they lost their houses over it. Whereas I meet a lot of property investors that say, oh, yeah, I just, I just bought a little flat. I reconfigured the walls and we sold it as a two-bedroom flat and we made a bit of money or I've rented it out. And 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 I learned from that. And now I want to go and do something. I want to do a house. And, and, and I've just done a house and now I want to do a, an HMO. And those, I mean, you don't necessarily have to go quite that small, but starting relatively small, learn some of the processes as you go through. Because the other thing I see is, Investors that have been investing for a good number of years um, with, with you know, a reasonable portfolio, but have got some appalling techniques 
in the way they're building that portfolio. And I'm not saying from a from an investment perspective, I'm saying this from a, a refurbishment and conversion perspective. I work, you know, worked with a, de a developer a few years ago. He had a nice, a nice portfolio, but he asked, and, and to, to be fair to the guy, he said to me, come into my business for a bit and tell me where I could streamline what I'm doing. And I met, I caught up with him the end of the first day I was there. And, and he, he said, so are there any issues? And I said, how long do you want me to keep coming in here? And we went through loads of places which weren't significant, but they all needed tightening up. And they were all just little things that he didn't know. There were ways of buying things cheap. Yeah, you know, I was talking to him about buying materials cheaply. How do you buy materials cheaply? Well, if you're buying volume of materials, you phone up the merchants and you say, what, what door handles have you got that's end of range? What are you trying to get rid of? Oh, I've got six of these ones. Oh, well, that's handy. I need six. And you'll get them at half the price because the, the merchant can't do anything with them. But you might be able to take it. And there's little ways like that that you can start to make money. And we and I with this developer, we talked about the way he was employing his tradesmen, the way he was paying his tradesmen. We talked about bonuses, we incentivized, you know, and all sorts of ways just to tighten things up. And he absolutely flew because he kind of knew how to do it. He just needed someone to come in and, and help him out. And that I was really pleased because it, he said to me, I want I want to know what I'm doing wrong. I want to, I want to improve. I, and that that's really good. Sadly, a lot of property investors aren't of that mindset. They're, well, I've got a portfolio, I've done it for years. We're great, brilliant, but if the market turns and you've got bad techniques, which could be where we are now, some of those are gonna start to find that it's not as easy. Yeah. Yeah, particularly in a falling market. Yeah, and, and in a falling market, where do you think? the opportunities are and I'll just loop back to what you said before about the right property with the right person with the right time um so with that in mind you know how does that fit in with what you think the market might be doing in the next 12 months <laughs> so so in a falling market without any doubt there that is where the risk is and and it may be that in the initial fall you know, you, you go with caution, but if it starts falling off too much, you know, you've got to probably get control of properties rather than buy them. You know, you're on to probably onto lease options and, you know, and, and methods like that rather than actually buying them or potentially buying them, holding them as they are or with a very small refurbishment with a view of doing something more significant in the future when you know that it, you know, the market can can sustain it, um, you know, where am I? What am I doing at the moment? My, I'm I'm in the process of getting myself a war chest, so I'm selling some property to have a war chest to strike in 2023, when hopefully there's some you know some real motivated sellers out there that are needing to sell quickly, and we can swoop in with some cash, um, some cash offers. Um, where am I getting that money from? Largely the massive increases in values in the portfolio that we've seen over the last 12 months. So, you know, that that's what I'm doing. Is that what all property investors are doing? Possibly not. That's possibly the reverse of what some people are, are thinking of doing. You know, so the less experienced, the less educated will be saying, 
oh, property investing is a great thing to be doing. Well, let's jump on the bandwagon. And then next year, oh, it's all crashing. We better sell. Well, I'm almost saying it back to front, but that's come. I didn't, that's not, I didn't know that 10 years ago. That's come from learning. All I knew, I've got experience of doing refurbishments and conversions and building work through recessions. I've worked through several recessions. So I know how that works. This is the first real potential drop I've seen in property investing. So I've only made a point of learning that from, from other people. But I think in a falling market, definitely don't get swept into, I've got to buy, I've got to become a property investor, I've got to get on the ladder. Um, that may not may well not be the best thing. And uh, as I say, uh, lease options and I think you know, things like rent to rent might work for a, for a while, subject to the, the, the head, the owner of the property not being in financial problems. Um, those kind of markets might well work for a while. Yeah, definitely don't want to get swept up in the hype of it all because uh, when the tide comes back out, we'll see who's... Uh, who's yeah, who's, yeah. You know. absolutely. And I think, yeah, I see, I mean, we all see that on social media and we see people coming onto social media. I've got to buy a property. I've been told property investing is the place to be. And it's, you know, as soon as it's, I've got to buy a property and I can't afford to miss out. And, you know, that is concerning. Um, but yeah. I have to say largely, I'm not, I'm not meeting those people because I'm largely at the networking events. I'm largely working with you know, YPN clients. I'm meeting from YPN. I'm not really meeting those other people, but I'm well aware they're out there because you know, we see them on social media. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, you know, you get that, you get that comment when you speak to people about, well, what do you do? And you say you're in property and then you get, oh, it's risky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have to kind of say, well, actually it's the person that is can be risky it's not the property that the property is just bricks and mortar that doesn't hold any risk it's how you you know your own risk tolerance how you um approach the deal how, all your due diligence um and as you say you know getting educated being in the right circles taking note of other people what they've done through different receptions as well mm. um and battening down the hatches yeah, yeah. Just, just, I, just I think being, being prepared to learn, being prepared to take advice and being prepared to outsource things that you can't do, it, it is what will get you through, will get you through anything. You know, don't guess, don't try and do things you don't know how to do. So that's the outsourcing, getting educated and, and, and then you can make the right decisions. Yeah. And you said earlier about, you know, people who take on projects that are too big for them and, and it all goes wrong after that. You know, you've mentioned about one way where people can uh, sort of gradually work their way through on their own experience. Or obviously they can outsource their lack of knowledge, their gaps to people like yourselves, uh, working with other joint venture partners who are more experienced or mm. you know, other partners or whatever. So, you know, how can you help people who don't have that uh, the skill of analysing the numbers, for example, or managing a team. What uh, you know? How can people work with you? So yeah, I'm 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 here to work with property investors. It to some extent it frustrates me that I've got this knowledge and no one. Uh, yeah, well, not I don't say no one, but a number of people don't ask for for the uh, the, the help. So yeah, I've got I've got a number of ways that that property investors can join with me. Um, if, well, basically, there's four. Right at the bottom, I've got a handbook. So just Google refurbishment handbook. And uh, I wrote that for property investors to give them an overview as to uh, what the process is. I've got, I've got a community. 
uh, where property investors can join me, get some basic learning and ask me questions and have uh, access to me on a regular basis. Um, I can then help them put together budgets and appraisals and teach them the process as well as do that on a live project. And then I've actually got a mentoring scheme as well for property investors that are managing their own projects, but actually want someone holding their hand and guiding them every step of the way. So those are the four things that I do alongside my own property investing. Um, yeah, so so I, my property investing bolts alongside my consultancy. I'm a consultant, really. And then I do some property investing on the side. Um, I'd like to do a little bit more property investing, but there's still a lot of people that need my need my help <laughs> and want my help. So, yeah, I'm I'm here. But there's an awful lot of people, as I say, that seriously need my help and don't ask and well, that is so yeah. frustrating for you me you know what martin i think they they either they're not aware they don't ask um or i think one of the um one of the biggest kind of mistakes people may make is that they don't want to pay for that initial kind of consultation yeah. you mentioned there about the appraisal which is arguably one of the most important elements to making an offer to decide whether to take on the deal or not um so trying to do the appraisal yourself if it's not your skill set if you've never done it before um you know it's not the time to be cutting costs and cutting back that really is something where you want to get yeah. an expert in so you know very briefly do you want to just give us a just a high level of what that appraisal would look like so if somebody comes to you with a project they've seen it on right move they think there's some mileage in it um they've got some rough costs but they're not sure mm. What, what can you do? So, so, and this is typical of where, where it starts from. You know, I, I get sent a right move plan, sometimes you know, with, with a link to it on the website, sometimes with a plan with some red pencil over the top saying, I think I can build an extension here, remove this wall here, and yeah, build an ensuite and what have you. Um, what, what can we do? And that's where we, that's where we start from. So, so from that right move plan and an idea of what investors want to achieve, I can I can teach investors how to put together a budget for that project. So not only teach, but obviously we'll also end up with the answer for that particular project, which is the method of breaking down the works that are needed into manageable chunks that we can put realistic prices against. But I also then talk about the risks in a project so that we've got awareness of what we're taking on. And some of those risks might be that great that we actually want to get someone else to come in and give us some guidance. For instance, you know, we've got big structural cracks. We need to probably speak to a structural engineer before we move forwards any further, or we make an offer subject to a structural engineer's report or something like that. So I'll talk about risks. I'll talk about the consultants. I'll talk about the likely duration of the project. And I, I challenge investors to think about what they're doing with the property at the end who is going to live in this property at the end um, so that we are focusing on what are we actually going to deliver um, and as I say that takes about an hour and a half to two hours to do that and largely we can work backwards because if we know what that end value is and we know what all the costs are the figure at the bottom of the page effectively is the price that the investor can offer for this property and, and just whilst we're, we're talking about this, sadly, I get a lot of property investors who have already bought the property when they get this process carried out. Um, and I would say, and I've been doing this for 10 years now, and some months, I, I can easily do four of these a month. 
Um, I would say 70% plus of the deals that I get bought do not stack at all and are miles away from ever stacking. Some of them don't stack straight away, but we can find ways and we can look at some creative ways or we can say, oh, this would stack if you could just do this or negotiate the price down. That That's fine. Some of them are absolutely miles away from it and 70% of them probably are. And of those 70%, well over half of them have already bought the property. And so they're already in a mess. And I'm hearing a story of some of an investor at the moment who against what well, he'd already bought the property when I took, when he asked me to look at the figures, I told him to dump it in the next auction and run fast. The last I heard is he's bought it or he, he, he's developing it through and it is apparently in a bit of a mess and he's too proud to come back and talk to me. And uh, yeah, I'll, I, I'm, I'd love to help him. He's in a mess. I want to help him. But at the moment, he's too proud to come back and ask me for further help on that. Um, and sadly, that's what that, that's what happens. And that's that's what I want to get out to investors, really. If I taught you the process to make sure you're buying every property at the right price and the process I teach, I'd like to get to a point which is largely what I do. Go and see a property 10 o'clock in the morning, sitting in a coffee shop by 11 o'clock, run some numbers on it. Red, amber or green. If it comes out red, I'm, I'm going to phone the agent and say, look, it doesn't work. If it comes out amber, I'm going to do some more research and due diligence on it. If it comes out green, then it's pretty much there's a deal there. Let's let's phone the agent, perhaps get a second viewing, get an offering. And I, I have put offers in in the afternoon that I've seen properties because the way I work out these budgets actually doesn't take ages. It takes me an hour and a half to two hours to teach, but it doesn't take me that long to do it. And it wouldn't take property investors that long to do it after they've done a few. Yeah, absolutely. So once they get uh, understand the process behind it and have uh, got that own spreadsheet that they've built themselves, they understand how it works, um, then obviously they can use it for, for all of their future. Absolutely everything. Yeah, that's it. And even when prices go up, it's only a case it's the the method stays the same it's yeah. just move the figures accordingly yeah the method's just, always there just increase it by five percent ten percent absolutely yeah brilliant well um obviously we're going to put the links to your website and um uh, you know in, and to get access to your um services there in the show notes so i'd encourage everyone to go and and check those out and if you've got a project or do you know what even if you haven't got a project now is a great time because you could practice on one have a look around mm. see something practice so that when you do get a project you are ready to go and you know that martin's there and you know you know what you need to do next for that so um so yeah just it's it's and it would be very interesting times for some exciting times for others um just make sure you're you know you're in the right camp and um you know you're ready for what's next yeah absolutely yeah trip trip with care plenty of money to be made but yeah take it carefully take advice and and fill up the gaps in your knowledge whatever that gap is great well thank you for your time martin and we look forward to following you and seeing you it'd be interesting to actually do this next year and see what happened <laughs> what we'll you in. Yes. yeah absolutely it would be yeah we'll do a follow-up brilliant definitely well for everyone who is not yet a subscriber to the magazine the link is in the show notes for your free 30-day trial so do click that and uh, the links obviously for martin's details are in there as well so thank you for your time guys and we'll see you next time great thanks very much michelle good to see you